You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss the future of electric bicycles as Kelly reflects upon her experience at Graniteer, an outdoor lifestyle festival produced by Granite Outdoor Alliance. What opportunities exist for electric bicycle-centered events? What can we learn from youth participation in electric bicycling? And how can the industry prepare to service and maintain electric bicycles? Let's get into it. Here's what I've been up to. So on Friday, it was the Granite Outdoor Alliance. And they had a big sort of outdoor festival where their members, like Nemo was there. And there's like a, a really cool bike retailer there. Somebody that makes artisan honey, you know, kind of like booths, kind of like that, right? They have bands and a big stage. And um, I I got invited to keynote <laughs> this thing. And one thing I noticed, they had a sign that definitely had my name printed on it. <laughs> like a big giant, you know, Kelly Davis. And I was like, fuck, there's no way that they did not print this before I said yes. No hmm. fucking way. Anyway, it was kind of, it was weird. But the the guy that ma- that sort of managed this, his name is Tyler, and great guy, man. I had a I had a great time. He is, you know, as the kids say, got all the riz. <laughs> he shows up. Mm. He's got he's got this awesome like uh, high color plaid suit. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Very and cool. He's very guy, cool. He's a guy that actually could pull it off. You know, I was like, ah, uh-huh, yeah, uh huh. Of any guy that I've that I've ever met that. Might wear that suit. This is the guy that can pull it off. Hmm, so, so anyway, so it was it was an interesting event. I ended up like giving what amounted to a fifteen to twenty minute sort of TED Talk framed infomercial about the outdoors because the mm-hmm. so my I was up on the stage. I'm like seven feet up off the ground, and I looked down. I'm like right. I don't know why I do this, but I was right at the edge of the stage. Because there's a band setting up behind me, you know. Like, what? <laughs> that's like cool. a live music. Yeah, they're like a spinning. marching band. Like a who? You know, they had a they had like kind of a cool indie guy before me, yeah. and I really liked. Actually, really liked it. I wish I could remember his name because I'd plug him. But uh, and then and then I went on as the keynote, right? And then there's a reggae band after me. So I was between bands <laughs> and the audience is on the lawn, right? And all the tents of all the vendors are there. And it was pretty big, man. There are, there are quite a few people there. People, there was beer, lots and lots of beer and good beer too, I might add. I may have sampled yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I was expecting, I go on between bands. I'm like, everybody's just going to get up and go get a beer, Right. Didn't didn't really even think about it, and they didn't. <laughs> I was like, "All right, oh. I got an audience." So that was pretty fun. But what the story I want to tell about this event was about this. There was a retailer there. His name was Dave. He's a bike retailer, and he had all kinds of demo bikes set up. And they set up this cool little like pump track, like a kid's mm-hmm. pump track with with wood obstacles. And what he was doing was he was basically just demoing bikes. And most of the bikes he was demoing were e-bikes. Super interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought about it. So I hung out and talked to him for like an hour. 
right? Because, you know, I, I just had to wait to go on. <laughs> and every kid that came up, every single kid that came up wanted to try an e-bike. No, sure. in the in an hour, it was like 20 kids, all e-bike. And I was like, Dave, Dave, is that happening? I mean, am I seeing something that's, that's, you know, just an anomaly? Like all the kids here just are just e-bike kids by accident or just, you know, that's, I'm thinking, don't fall victim to spurious data, you know? Like, yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. Because it's, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked. And I see the kids are having a blast. I took one out, also had a blast, also rode the flow track, also jumped off the berm <laughs> several times because I couldn't get around because I suck, apparently. And, but the kids are having a blast and they're just, they're just racing around. Nobody had a problem. And um, Dave, so Dave said, yeah, the kids want e-bikes. The kids definitely want e-bikes. And I, well, I said over conventional bikes. And he said, yeah. And there's an old timer about three feet away from us. And he goes, yeah, well, kids are lazy now. So, and I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frankly, it's, it's, it's more fun. Yeah, I mean, for sure. it just, it just objectively. It's more fun. And wow, look at them having fun out there. There's something going yeah. on here. And I started to think, oh my God, if this is, if this is, you know, happening everywhere, and I can't say for sure either way, I know it's happening in Franconia, New Hampshire. If this is happening, what does this mean for the future of cycling and cycling events and just the framework of the cycling experience? What does this mean for the industry, mm -hmm. Patrick? It's a great question. I think we're we're figuring it out as we go. First of all, I hate the uh, the kids are lazy, you know, or or adults are lazy. However you want to frame it, that electric bikes are just ridden by folks who are lazy and don't want to climb up the hill. That's that's not it. You know, it's anything that engages folks with the natural world, engages folks with outdoor recreation in one way or another in a safe way. I think should be celebrated and not, you know, met with this sort of like. Bah humbug, whatever. It's this stuff. These kids, these damn, you know, I'm shaking my fist at whoever. That's not good. You know, as long as we got folks going outside, having fun safely, sharing space, sharing trails, sharing the road, whatever it may be. And who cares? You know, why, why, why have any opinion other than good for you? I'm glad that you found something you like to do. Your question, what does it mean for the future of cycling? I think it 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 definitely means two things. A, there are some folks who our existing cyclists that really want to add electric bicycling to their like repertoire to their skill set which includes road riding and mountain or gravel and commuting or like wh whatever your mix of cycling is for me i ride a lot of gravel and i ride to the grocery store and so like that's that's mostly how i participate in cycling and adding like an electric element to it is really interesting you know like that there's just like a whole another level of this activity that you get to tap into when you electrify the other thing it means for the future is bringing non-participants, like expanding the pool of participants by attracting folks into the cycling space via electric bikes. They might not otherwise have participated in any sort of cycling activity, but electric bicycles are creating new audiences. They're reaching new groups. And that sort of support means that there's a bigger pool of folks who are trying to create safe places to ride in the city or trying to create killer networks of trails um, somewhere near the city so that they can they can participate in their activity with like fun rec recreational bike facilities or safe transportation corridors to places that are actually destinations they want to go, you know, like connected bike networks. 
I, I think it definitely means a bright future for cycling because the more people we have engaged in cycling and the more people who are aware of and care about safe, fun places to ride, everyone's going to benefit. I agree. There are two, there are two areas I want to ask you a little bit, a little bit more about. And, and one of the booths there magically contained a very old friend that lived in Boulder, did not expect to see her, uh, Mercedes Ross. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know her, right? She's she's I do. awesome. And uh, she is. <laughs> I mean, I, if you ever get a chance to talk to her, anybody out there, please just have fun. <laughs> and she's one of the most fun people in the world to have a conversation with. I love Mercedes. And what she's trying to do is get more tech classes, especially for mm. e-bike, especially for basically small electric engine into high schools and and also colleges, especially community colleges. And I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the how long it takes me to get my e-bikes repaired, even when it's yeah. not the electric portion. And you know, I'm thinking that that's going to become a much larger need across the industry if indeed you know it's kids are gonna are gonna grow up with e-bikes that sure. that's that changes sort of everything in the repair environment and calls for calls for you know an effort to ensure that you know we have the courses and the curriculum that will help people enter the industry and and provide that service to us and I think maybe we could get Mercedes on. To a That'd be great. Yeah, I just wrote a note down here that we should try and and get her on an episode. She would be great. She, uh, she works with Project Bike Tech, right? Is that correct. it? That is absolutely okay. correct. Yeah. So so two things. I was a bike mechanic for ten years, and I Kelly, you're raising your hand. I know you were too. Like, I am very confident in my skills being able to translate to any sort of mechanical bike operations regardless of of how new the bike is, you know, like shifting is shifting, braking is braking. I understand how to adjust cables and bleed lines and true rims and like, you know, anything that's anything about dealing with the mechanical aspects of a bike. Where I get lost is the electronic components, you know, like I, I don't have any experience working in a shop when electronic shifting was big or when electric bicycles are big. And so that's my deficit. Anything we can do to set up the next group of bike mechanics to have those skills when they enter the market is killer because electric bikes aren't going anywhere. More and more companies are selling electric bikes directly to consumers, which means that there's an opportunity for dealers to become the like personal one-on-one connection that an individual operating an electric bike might have with the bicycle industry. That independent dealer or whoever it may be servicing that bike has a huge opportunity to make sure that customer has fun on their bike safely. You know, it operates the way that it needs to operate. And they also have an opportunity to like create a relationship that benefits both parties, right? Uh, the customer knows their bike is being taken care of. The repair and maintenance is going as planned. Everything's the way they want it to be. And the independent dealer has an opportunity to sell service, sell parts, sell all the parts and accessories that go along with participating in this activity. And, and you know, the the padded shorts or the helmet or whatever it may be. And and making sure that techs are up to date on all of the advancement in electric bicycle technology is key to being being that resource for the rider who's looking for that that sort of service, you know? Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I, I mean, it makes me think we should just drop the microphone right now and go start. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> are you in? I bet we can you find know, it like tomorrow. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep thinking about it. Just keep it in mind, man. Keep it in mind. <laughs> we keep doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you know, run a hugely successful business. Um, the, yeah. the second the second category of of discussion I want to have with you about this is more fun. This is imagine what kinds of events we could we could have with electric bikes. I mean, what is that going to look like? How how do we do that? Um to encourage more riding and just, you know, have the fun of of For sure. these kinds of events and you know, I can think of all kinds of things like uphill competitions would be hilarious. Um we could have I, when I was writing the flow course, I'm like, "Oh my god, you know, this I actually need to just calm down a little bit." <laughs> but you could have like you could have an event where kids ride, you know, you time five laps on the flow yeah. course or, you know, you have a I don't know, you know, electric bikes seem to be super good at doing things like wheelies and I mean, just fun stuff. You could do a trial yeah. drive with an electric bike. I'm just thinking I have not seen any events that featured electric bikes. In fact, it's kind of spurned, right? Well, it's hang our, on, hang on. Show me so something. E Revolution took place this summer. I don't remember if it was June or July, but it was paired with the big gear show here in Denver. And E Revolution did have an indoor track, and there were a number of e bike brands there showcasing their their product lineups, and an opportunity for folks to like ride these electric bikes on this indoor track. That it was a four day event. Two days were B two B, two days were B two C. So those those two B two C days took place over the weekend. So folks could bring in their families or whoever, and and like go try out some electric bikes on this track that had a little bit of climbing, had a little bit of like terrain it was this large event center space where they took up a whole heck of a lot of it for this track so that you can see just exactly what these e-bikes are about and and you can like actually experience like the e-bike grin that that you hear folks talk about i've I've mentioned it before that it's impossible to get on an e-bike and start like zipping you know start to feel a little bit of the electric assist and you go oh that's cool you get to have that moment there with the experts and the professionals in like a controlled setting and, and really have some fun with it. And and I'll share, I think there were a couple like social media posts that showed this track and I'll see if I can find something and share a cool takeaway uh, in the episode description here. But I, I do think that might've been the first time that I saw like an e-bike experiential component in, in a larger event um you know the conference or a trade show or whatever yeah and and those events are are great and the experiential side of that is is awesome i think what i'm trying to get from you is i was thinking in my mind you know as i was riding that flow track and you know hopping off the <laughs> the berm on the back yeah, yeah. Because, I, because i couldn't control my speed because i just like to go fast i was thinking you know, and I'm addicted to Red Bull uh, <laughs> Rampage. Anyway, so I was thinking about events of that are more are more about competition, whether it's a competition, oh yeah, skill or your ability to assume risk and survive or whatever it might be. Can you imagine some events, or even you can race on e-bikes? You just have to normalize. So you have to just standardize. You know the the type of motor and and wattage. I mean. There could be skill events where you do trials riding or do things that e-bike only e-bikes can do. Like I said, like an yeah. up, let's ride the trail uphill and see who can do it fastest. I mean, and just you know, you just have different divisions for different wattage, basically. Yeah. But can you imagine something like that? I mean, 
Imagine oh, that if sure. kids are riding e-bikes, why don't why aren't we innovating on that side? I love that. I, I don't know enough about it to say that we are or, or not. I'll, I'll leave that to maybe Dr. Ash Level on our team, who's our e-bike policy and program director. We should have asked uh, Rachel Fussell when she was here a few weeks ago. That would have been good for her as the e-mountain bike program coordinator. Well, I mean, knowledge is, be. knowledge is iterative, right? So yeah. I learned something new this weekend. And I am I I mean I I thought about just something something new in e-bike. Like what mm-hmm. if? What if we had like cool little little kid crit races with e-bikes? Yeah. Like little little flow track races. What if we had like little jumps, like little progression track for them? What if we did them different? You know, it's an iterative process learning about you know, anything. Yeah, um, including e-bike and what's going on with e-bike, and these trends are are interesting because you know they're happening before our very eyes, and it just it really caught my eye this weekend to see that, and the kids did have that smile on their face. So did I. Yeah, for sure. All the adults, right? Yeah. I mean, and there was a fat bike there. No one was riding that. Nothing. Oh, really? Dang. Yeah, it was I'll... anything anything with an electric motor on it got ridden. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And the old man screamed at the cloud next to the tent for about five minutes and then left. But what I saw was opportunity. I saw a lot of opportunity. Huge opportunity. Yeah. And and when and we I, look at the future, like the near-term future for the bike market over the next three, five years, we do see electric bicycles commanding more and more of the market share. Mm-hmm. It, it's been exponential growth so far. Like 23 was a little bit flat or has been a little bit flat over 22 so far. It's it's just been a tough year for bikes, but if we look at the last ten years of uh, sales data from Circana or anyone really, you know, if you look at import data, uh, if you can get some import data, it's been growing like crazy. And and looking at the European market and the Asian markets and trying to understand how our U.S. market might um, progress from the early stages of adoption to like increasing in popularity and, and becoming more widespread, there's a whole heck of a lot of opportunity for writers to find amazing products for brands to um, create amazing products and for advocates to to create spaces for folks to participate in this type of cycling 100 there's also a lot of space for, for entrepreneurs and there's yeah. a lot of space there's a lot of space in education i think that yeah there's a need there for sure yeah the technical education needed could be a curriculum you know we, somebody must be thinking about writing Somebody like Mercedes. So we'll get her on yeah. to talk about that. Um, finally, about the Granite Outdoor Alliance. I just I I think, you know, at the at the end of my of my talk, you know, I said the requisite things that I usually say about resources from the Outdoor Industry Association, but I do think that I may have forgotten to profusely thank my hosts at <laughs> the Granite Outdoor Alliance for oh, bringing no. me there and, and giving me a platform, you know, to talk to a really interesting audience. And I had a lot of consumers in that audience that were engaged with what, what we were talking about. And yeah. it was yeah. sort of fun. And, you know, it's always good to, to go exercise, you know, your muscles, whether they're, they're, you know, <laughs> giving a presentation on a, on an eight foot stage with a, with a band setting up behind you muscles or whatever it might be. I had a blast and I just really had a great time in New Hampshire. And I want to thank them for a great experience and for a great event, frankly. Thanks, Granite Outdoor Alliance. Thanks, Tyler. I I found the Granite Outdoor Alliance uh, webpage, and and it looks like 
it would be a really fun event to attend in the future too. So I'm sure folks could check back here and, and find out information about future events. No, no doubt. Patrick Hogan might be keynoting next year. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can get my name on a big board too. You know what, buddy, maybe we should do it together because being up on that stage by myself, I don't know, man, that's it. I was thinking if, you know, I, I've got to remind myself that I'm clothed and this is real. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm happy to be on stage with you, even if it's just like playing in the band behind you to, to be the, the backing track for your really inspirational. Yeah, we'll hit the Rocky theme. We'll do <laughs> Eye of the Tiger. We'll do all kinds of good stuff. Nice. I like that. I'm really into Joy Wave right now, but that's a different story. We can do that, too. Okay, I have one uh, more short. I have one more short story. Okay, because this is a, this is a palate cleanser. So I was driving home and it was late because I basically I kind of Irish goodbye the event. <laughs> I, I, one of the last things I said off stage when I got off stage or before I got off stage was to the audience, you know, you, I'm, we might get a chance to talk. Uh, I'll definitely be petting dogs. <laughs> so, And, you know, with that, I was like, thank you very much, you know, and sort of peace out. And uh, I went and pet a couple dogs. I did, you know, true to my word. I, I had been focusing on a couple of dogs in the audience as I was getting <laughs> They're very responsive. Um, but, uh, after that, I just, I, you know, I had to get home. I, it was, it was, and I was driving all night. I knew it. So I was like, it's, yeah. it is time for me to just focus on just what I'm going to do next and go. And I was out of there five, five minutes after I finished that talk, I was, I was, you know, <laughs> wheels up. I was out of yeah. there. And, uh, so anyway, it was, it, the weather was nicer. It was late. And I basically I'm ways I just programmed home. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I ended up doing something that I that I absolutely didn't want to do, which was 95, um, 95 South from New York City down, actually from about Hartford down. And the problem with that was in a rental car that did not have uh, an electronic toll meter on it. Oh, so doggone it. That's right. And if you've never done it, that's this is an experience that every American should have. And that's go through the cash lane on the Jersey Turnpike. Because first of all, it costs a ton of money. I mean, I think I paid 35 bucks in tolls between Jersey, the first, the 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 toll in Jersey, which was 20 bucks. So I, you know, I had to get the car. Oh, mighty. I, I mean, it was old fashioned too. And I got the car and did exactly what I did with it when I was a kid, just jammed it under my leg. <laughs> like, I'm not losing this thing, man. And, yeah. and so 100 miles later, you got to pay the New Jersey toll. And then you yeah. end up in, you know, in PA and then Delaware, you pay a, to cross a bridge and then you pay one of the toll. And I was, and I had to pay cash the entire way. And it was, it was between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. that I had to do this. And uh, I was not happy. I was not particularly happy with myself because I just went with my navigation device. I didn't think yeah. about it. And so I figured it's just, you know, this is the price you pay. I mean, you're accountable for your decisions, the price you pay. But, but by the time I paid my last toll in Delaware, I had had basically four positive interactions with toll keepers on the road that probably kept me awake. It was a yeah. lovely experience. I got to speak to another human being who was really nice. And professional and, you know, was just doing their job and I'm just driving and it was just nice. That's because helpful it, to, to stay awake at that hour, you know. It was. I mean, that, like, they may have saved my life. Seriously. <laughs> and I, mean, and I know how much I paid, too, because I was paying cash the entire way. Usually it's your easy pass. And you're just like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. They just charge my credit card. I don't even think about it. It's 30 bucks, man. <laughs> it's so, quite a bit of money. So I was thinking when I got past the last hole in, in Delaware and I found myself, myself 
and it was late. So, you know, maybe I was emotional, but I was a little bit um, sad because I thought I will probably never, ever interact again with a human toll booth keeper ever mm. because, you know, I don't, I, I will take my smart tag next time, my easy pass. Yeah. I will not, I will not try and pay the cash <laughs> on the Jersey Turnpike and they'll probably be gone. I was thinking, you know, what it must, what it must feel like, what it must look like when your when your industry is at the very end of it. And I'm not suggesting anything in outdoors at the very end of its life, but it was pretty wild. And it, and it reminded me that there's a human side you know, to all of this. And yeah. it did. It made me a little sad to think that I was not going to talk to a, to a human toll booth keeper. And I wasn't going to have that ritual that where nobody's going to, you know, the kids are never going to think about the car and throw it under their leg and yeah. why, why you do that. And what it's like to deal with toll booth keepers and and that kind of thing. And, I, and also the cash people get like the worst lanes on the turnpike. <laughs> just, oh, an, sure. just another lesson in basically in income inequality. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of or, lessons on the New Jersey yeah. turnpike on, on Saturday night. It was early Sunday morning. It was, it was quite, quite the road trip. Yeah. Whenever you pay an electronic toll, you can you can text me and say, hey, I just paid 20 bucks. And I'll say, I hope you have a great drive. I'll see you on the other side of New Jersey. Yeah, I don't think it's the same, man. Sorry. No, no. But how how great that our industry does have this human component to it, you know, where we have independent shops that get to have interactions with customers that like fill cups, you know, like shops get to have the satisfaction of knowing they're they're helping these folks have fun riding a bike skiing down the mountain, kayaking on the lake, like whatever it is, snowshoeing across the snow. And we should not take for granted the fact that we get to have those positive interactions. And we should capitalize on the fact that those positive interactions are an amazing way for us to really sell a lot of product and, and like support our businesses. No and doubt. it's, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes when someone might be bringing in an electric bicycle that was purchased elsewhere and, and, it's easy to begrudge the fact that they didn't purchase a bike from you. But I think Toby said it best when he was on an episode about six months ago, like why not meet that excited customer with your own excitement and help them find the stuff they need to have fun doing whatever it is they're going to do safely and respectfully, but there's a huge opportunity there. So let's take advantage of those human interactions. Yeah. I think every opportunity we have to connect to other people, especially when it's, you know, when it's within industry, um, and yeah. industry to consumer. It was, you know, it, there's something real and authentic and amazing about even the toll booth. Imagine that. <laughs> and that's, what, that's what, I think that's what kind of blew me away. I mean, despite yeah. it, it smelled the same as it did 30 years ago. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I had that olfactory memory, but I was thinking, you know, maybe, you know, we've lost a little bit of this and I, and, and, mm -hmm. and it, my heart told me that I missed it. On early think, Sunday morning in a toll booth in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're better for it. And and the old man shaking his fist at the kids on the electric bikes is not is not seeing the positivity in it. So let's let's be the ones uh like embracing the human interaction and the change and the positivity instead of the ones trying to fight it. I think Agreed. that's it. Agreed. I like beautiful. It. Well, I'll make sure that we cross post this podcast in the uh, like the spiritual section too, so that <laughs> we we transitioned from outdoor rec industry into a little bit of a uh, spirituality and everything's connected and love is love. But I dig it. Yeah, thanks, man. And we won't talk about quantum entanglement or 
at all. These are things yeah. that, I mean, if you, if you spend a lot of time on a bike, your mind's going to go there eventually. I'm just saying. It does. It does. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.